Welcome back to Word and Table, a weekly podcast on liturgy, sacraments, and the great tradition of Christian worship, and why it is vital in our world today. I'm your host, Alex Wilgus, and I am here, as always, with Father Stephen Gautier. Welcome back, Father Stephen. Great to be back, Alex. Father Stephen is the canon theologian of the Diocese of the Upper Midwest in the Anglican Church in North America, and he is Director of Formation at St. Paul's House of Formation in the Greenhouse Movement. Today, Father Stephen, uh, I wanted to continue our series on Christian moral theology and uh, Christian ethics with uh, by bringing in front of you the idea of collective sin. It's an idea that's kicked around sometimes in uh, theological cir- circles and such, and it's the idea of are we as individuals, personally and individually, responsible for the sins of the groups to which we belong? Sometimes it's called collective guilt. Um, so yeah, I wanted to bring that in front of you and see what, what do the traditional moral theology resources we've been looking at, uh, what does it have to say about that question of collective guilt? Well, I'd prefer to look at a collective sin because, uh, Mm -hmm. it's looking at sin. Well, one interesting thing in traditional moral theology, going back to St. Ambrose, I'm going to quote him here in a minute, is... Sin isn't something that happens. We sometimes, you know, we talk about things happen. <laughs> yeah. It just Mistakes sort of were made. Mistakes yeah. were made. It happens. <laughs> it's like the essential thing of sin is, St. Ambrose says, sin is disobedience to the law of God, a voluntary transgression of divine law. Saying sin doesn't happen, we choose to do it. So let's put real blame where blame belongs, real guilt. Sin, I'm not an innocent victim here. <laughs> okay yeah i choose to sin sin is a choice it's a vol something that we choose to do that's what makes it sin that's why saint augustine said he says will is the starting point of sin he says it's the very it's the very core of sin principium is the latin word for it it's the very core the very the very heart of sin is is our will it's mm-hmm. our act of will choosing us instead of god and so with that notion that sin doesn't just happen is something we do is we make a distinction between original sin and traditional theology and actual sin. Now, the word actual sin is confusing. We all know original sin. But actual sin, in English now, the word actual means uh, real. Like, here's the actual story, the real story. Actually, yeah. Right. Here it means something else. It means, it comes from the word act. It means sin that we ourselves commit by an act of our will. So actual mm. means by an act of our will. It's something we've actually done. Oh, so actual act. An actual. Act. Actual yeah, means right. uh, we have acted. So it's original sin, we, we share in the sin of Adam. But here's something we've done ourselves. It's like when Paul says, you know, there's Adam's sin, but we've all, shared, we've all followed the example of Adam. You know, we're not just innocent bystanders yeah. here. You know, Adam may have started it going, but we sort of done our best to keep it moving. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, we're not innocent bystanders here. So in that sense, we could say that, that sin in this sense is inherently personal. It's a choice I make. And that's why in the Old Testament it's intriguing, is they emphasize, and this is revolutionary, the idea that you can't be guilty for what somebody else does. And in a society with families, for example, 
you know, you could say, look, if the father did something, we need to punish his children. Okay, we need to yeah, do that. Yeah. And we're told specifically, and this was this was pretty cutting edge stuff. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. That's Deuteronomy 24. That's revolutionary when we think of the time. Uh, that's repeated at great length in the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 18. You know, uh, that uh, man dies for his own sin. He's not punished. We can't blame this on others. They were saying, well, uh, they had a proverb. They said, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children see, th-, you know, saying it's not our fault. You know, it's our fathers. He said, no, no. He says, as I live, declares the Lord God, that proverb is not going to be used anymore by you in Israel. Behold, all sins are mine. The soul of the father as well as the son of the son. The soul who sins shall die. So there's a real notion here with this notion that let's not blame others here. Sin always involves deep down. I have made a choice. So mm-hmm. sin, we have to look about the essence of sin is choice. Okay. Okay. So it's again, like we've talked about this in previous episodes, but it's that, that the voluntary nature of that right. is what makes it so. Yeah. Voluntas um, is the Latin word for will. It's, it's an act of will. Yeah. So when I've heard collective sin talked about, we're, but you're, we're saying, you're saying here that actually sin is an individual and personal act since it comes down to voluntary choice. Um, so what, what's the problem then with the idea that, uh, that, that we all sort of share in the, the collective sins or wrongdoings of a group? Well, a few things honestly come to mind with that. Uh, the first thing is, ironic at first it seems, this is great because we can make sure we're not letting people off the hook. You know? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But actually what happens is the opposite. Is actually we find out the, the SS concentration camp guards are sort of happy to blend in with bakers in rural Germany. As, <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> Germany did this. Well, (laughs) no, actually you did this and we all did different things. We had different types of sins and things. And there's some people who are completely innocent. But the point is there was no Germany sinning. There were a whole lot of Germans and it affected Germany as a unit. You know, societies can truly take on sin, become sinful, you know, Mm -hmm. fundamentally be inequitable. But the point is that is not a group sin. Deep down, what we're talking about collective sin is sin is individuals what are they doing within that society? And again, the trouble, the first problem I have is when everyone's responsible, no one's responsible. Just look at that. Like a lot of Nazis said, well, I was doing what everybody was doing. You know, it really was the sure. whole country shouldn't have done that. That was bad. No, that's not true. Some yeah. of you, you, know, you made, which choices did you make? Those of you who put Jews into boxcars, those of you who ratted on your neighbors, you did something very different that someone who was there and was a communist was outvoted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he voted against Hitler and he didn't do anything. I mean, you know, but you know, he, he did everything he could. Yeah. So that's not the same to say, well, you're all Germans. No, that's not fair. So we're just saying, we don't want the notion of collective sin to take away the guilt of the guilty, frankly, with the notion, well, they're part of this pool of German. Sure. Countries, organizations so that- don't sin, but they can have a lot of sinful people, which can make them take on the character of sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the basically the idea of applying sin to to large the same sin to large swathes of people is that it cuts both ways, right? It, it oh, yeah. kind of dilute the actual offense if if everyone is is somehow responsible. For it's it. sort of interesting because with our enemies it makes everybody guilty, with us it makes us all sort of unguilty. 
<laughs> we'll talk about, yeah, oh, they're all yeah. bad. You know, they're all part of this. When it comes to us, it's saying, well, no, I'm just a victim here. Uh, you know, I'm just, yeah, every, yeah, anyway, I, can't, everyone was, I can't help it. Everyone, can't help everyone it. was doing it. I'm all of Germany was anti-Semitic. No, not everyone sure. was, um, uh, uh, was, was doing the same things. That's not just not true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A second thing I was talking about is guilt by association is really very dangerous because this is what leads to communal violence. You have a place like Northern Ireland during the Catholic Protestant hostilities, the, the troubles as they euphemistically called them. Mm-hmm. And you'd have things like this. Well, you know, they're sort of responsible if they're Protestants, you know, or they're, you know, they're, they're part, they're oppressing us and this kind of thing. And so that we shoot some, a perfectly innocent kid in the street, you know, because, well, he's a Protestant, you know, he's part of that whole... So we start actually associating individuals, you know, and blaming them for something that, that they had no personal will, act of will about. That's a real mm-hmm. danger about guilt by association of treating the society. Yes, a society can have sinful, uh, can, can take on sinful characteristics, but that doesn't mean that the members, we have to separate the society, you know, the, the society itself is not the same of each of its individual members. I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. was surrounded by sinners and he wasn't sinful. <laughs> <laughs> after all <laughs> he was a jew he was you know he he was a jew of his time uh but and off and again we say it's often the real trouble we can find it's very easy to look around at the sins of others to make us feel that we're just one step up we're higher up somehow and judging often seems to me i have the feeling is it's more of saying well at least i'm not like them and jesus warned us about judging he says judge not that you be not judged and he said, there's all, there's, well, uh, James talks about it. He said, look, the real danger about judging is there's only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? He's saying, basically, we have no basis. Who are we to judge our neighbors? We don't have any right to do that. Plus, we don't, we don't have enough information. How could we make a real judgment? Yeah. So yeah, I, my, my yeah. concern, again, we're not talking about certainly societies like a Nazi Germany can have, all societies can have tremendous things that are wrong with them. But that doesn't make it collective sin, sin in a theological sense. In a sinful societies, you're going to find a lot of sinners. You're going to find a lot of things doing bad things, but that doesn't make everyone in the society the same. Mm-hmm. The concentration camp guard and, <laughs> you know, somebody who once did the, the Nazi salute when Hitler was coming through town are not in the same place, let alone yeah. the person who voted against him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, so one of the things that that sparks in, in my mind is... So if, if sin fundamentally, you know, that's that sin is between between me and God and, and others, but fundamentally repentance is between me and God. Um, so does that mean I'm kind of off the hook when it comes to the, uh, you know, the, the, the whatever is going on in my broader group, whether it's my family or my, uh, you know, my clan or my or my my, my society or my nation or something like that? Um do, can, do, can I just sort of look after and make sure that I keep my nose clean and 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 just that be the end of it? Uh, nothing. As you know, I, I'm sure the priests could be farther from the truth. <laughs> Jesus, when he says, what are Christians like? He said, it's like this. He said, you're the salt of the earth. And think about it, salt was used for two things. It was either preserving, especially before refrigeration, preserving meat, keeping things from spoiling, or for giving flavor to things. Mm-hmm. What possible use is salt that just sits forever in a jar? It's not doing anything. He said, you're salty. He said, what good is salt if it's not salty anymore? He said, what good is a light if you put it on and put it under a bushel if people can't see it? So he says, our whole, our whole purpose in the world is we're extensions of God's love. 
And so, you know, we are here to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And this ties to the second great commandment. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is something we do. Love isn't a feeling. It's something, love is something that's put into action. Mm, yeah. So yeah. as Christians, we're never sitting back and watching the world go by. We're active. As the Father sent me, I send you. We're in the world, um, you know, as salt and light. If we're not doing that, uh, we're not doing what we're called to do. Right, right. So I imagine that the, the, the follow-up question would be, you know, how do we do that? Or, or what do we, what exactly are we supposed to do? Has anything like that ever come up in, in scripture before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> One thing we have from Jesus is a classic thing when people come to with questions is he often say you're asking the wrong question. And here's one question he had. For example, a guy comes up to him, runs up to him one day and says, are those who are going to be saved be many? And Jesus said, you strive to enter by the narrow gate. He's saying, why are you worrying about everybody else? I mean, you, the most important thing right now is what are you supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when they talk about the, this, who sinned, this man or his parents? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is we have to yeah. redirect that. We're missing this. And maybe there's a beautiful example for this that we have in the tale of the Good Samaritan that really puts, because we should be concerned about the whole world. But actually, Jesus was asking a question a lot of people would miss. What happened in the story is, remember, someone came to him and he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, well, who's my neighbor? Yeah. And it sounds like a sort of smart aleck, smart alecky question. Right. But actually, it's a profound rabbinic question. You see, the rabbis had a profound reverence for every single word of the scriptures in Hebrew. And in Leviticus 19, as the rabbis point out, it didn't say love everyone as yourself. It said love your neighbor. That must mean something. We don't edit God, as the rabbis might put it. You don't edit sure. God. He must mean something. What does he mean? So it wasn't necessarily a smart-alecky thing. He was putting it to show that he wasn't stupid. But he's saying, but why? And that's why Jesus answer, answers that. You see, the rabbis had argued, well, maybe it's other Jews. Or maybe it's people and strangers who live nearby or people who have special relationships to people you do business with or something. There had to be a subcategory. Mm -hmm. And here's what Jesus suggests. He chooses, tells a story that's, that made sure that this person could not fit into any of the categories. The Samaritan wasn't a Jew. He couldn't live with Jews. He wasn't in the area. Matter of fact, he had no business dealings. He happened to be walking by. Yeah. And here's the point of Jesus. He's basically saying anyone who's in the position to do good is the neighbor. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. He says, we're neighbors to the person we're close enough to do good to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we often, it's easy to say, well, I can't, I can't feed the whole world. Can I, I sure can make sure I can feed the people near me. Is basically saying, don't, in our goal to see the whole problem solved, we must never allow that to take us away from the things we are in a direct position to do. It's not either sure. or. We never want to forget the bigger issue, but very often it's so easy to go to macro problems. And amazingly, we talk about these macro and the people right around us who are suffering from these things, we do nothing. So he's, the important thing is that our fu fundamental assault and light, uh, our fundamental place where we're going to do that is the people that God has providentially put in our path. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you one last thing then, though. Is, do Christians have a duty to... What are the what are the Christians' duty to their group or to their society? Um, do do we have to worry about about that at all? Oh yes, we have. 
basically, the, 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 we have a prophetic word to speak. You know, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. And mm-hmm. we, when we're baptized, are baptized, you know, as prophet. We share in his role as prophet, priest, and king. And prophet means it's not telling the future. It can be that. A prophet means someone who actually speaks God's truth. And we have a duty to speak God's truth in our situations. Yeah. And so that holds to uh, injustice and wrong. We have to, we have to, we can't be complicit. Remember another episode we talked about, we can't approve or condone or praise bad things. And so we can't be in a position of doing that. We have to always be speaking the truth. We don't have to look for trouble, There's, but, but we certainly have to, we cannot in any way come across as approving, being approving or agreeing with things that are fundamentally wrong. That's the prophetic word. And, but another thing is we speak the truth, as Paul tells us, with love. So often prophetic words are, are hobbled because they're spoken with anger. You know, Jesus, even if he spoke angrily to the Pharisees, it said he wept over Jerusalem. He said, I would have done anything, you know, like a, like, a, like a hen gathering her. So it has to be a truth that's motivated by love. Right, right, right. Hate, you know, it's always, the truth must always be spoken in love. Jer- Jeremiah, we're doing a series in our diocese now in Jeremiah. Um, he's called the weeping prophet, but he's weeping for his people. The very people, yeah. personally, he's weeping for them. He, he knows that they're the ones who are going to suffer more than anyone from their injustices. He doesn't hate them. He loves them. So I guess maybe a good way to sum up uh, is to say that, you know, so the idea that sin is an individual matter also places an emphasis on our, our individual duty uh, to, to do good and to do God's work in the world, right? That's right. something to really emphasize. And also a true prophetic word is always empowering. Actually, we have this whole talk about that in Jeremiah 12. It's telling us, here's the way out. Here's what we can actually do. It's not a matter of, it's hopeless, Matter of fact, yeah. we're told in Jeremiah 12, no matter what God has said, that that's always contingent, he says. What I say is always, that's always contingent. That's why Nineveh was told the city's going to be destroyed and Jonah's right. complaining, "What you, you're a softy. He said, no, no, it's, it's always contingent. So it always points the way out. So we can tell us truth spoken in love is always saying, how can things be better? It's not a right. matter. Things are hopeless. Right. And the idea of collective sin can actually kind of trend into that kind of despair, right? That it's like, well, just as a, as a simple matter of one's association with a group, you're, you know, part of the problem. But, but you're saying that the, the real prophetic words from God are, here's how you can be part of the solution. Right. right? God, the word, the gospel is always, I tell people in preparing for ordination, remember the gospel is always good news. And so the thief on the cross, the rabbis love to tell us, the rabbis thought the most wicked man in the entire Old Testament, they have all these things have been determined, is, the, is Manasseh, <laughs> King Manasseh. Why? Because he was the one who actually burned his own son to Moloch, uh, you know. Mm, and that yeah. was the, a human sacrifice, his own son in a horrifying way. And yet you'll notice in the Bible he repents. And God yeah. accepts that repentance. So the idea is that we never write people off. There's nothing more profoundly, that's despair. It's saying there's someone beyond God's love, beyond Jesus's redemption. That's, some, uh, that's a point of view that's utterly foreign to a Christian. No one's beyond the power of the love of the cross. Thanks so much, Father Stephen. That's all the time we have left for this episode. And thank you for listening to Word and Table. 
We'll be back again in a week for more on liturgy, sacrament, and the great tradition of Christian worship. Thanks for listening.